Welcome to 1001 Radio Crime Solvers Podcast. This is your host, John Hagedorn, and we want 1001 Radio Crime Solvers to be your favorite place to go to enjoy a great mix of vintage detective shows from the golden age of radio. The scripts were great, the action was hot, and even the old commercials are enjoyable. And now, another episode of 1001 Radio Crime Solvers is ready to go. Enjoy! From the pen of Layman Chandler, outstanding author of crime fiction, comes his most famous character in The Adventures of Philip Marlowe. Now, with Gerald Moore, starring as Philip Marlowe, we bring you tonight's exciting story, The Fine Italian Hand. just passed has been full of jarring contrasts, laughter hiding heartbreak, a woman dying of loneliness in an overcrowded city, a man who sacrificed everything to make a fortune and shot himself when he got it, the messed up byproducts of our hopped up civilization. The thought of them stayed in my mind as I drove over the freeway to San Fernando Valley because the job I was on promised no change in the day's pattern of combining things that didn't belong together. When I parked at the corner of Magnolia and Van Nuys Boulevard, I was still trying to reconcile my new client, the owner and operator of a little amusement park for children, with a panicky voice on the phone that had begged me to come at once. It wasn't hard to spot. A heavy-set old man moving among the stampeding merry-go-round stallions and picking crumpled tickets like plums from the fists of laughing kids grabbing for brass rings. We never change, do we? When he saw me, he hopped off. Take over me. Take over me. You, Mr. Marlowe, maybe? That's right, Mr. D'Angelo. Oh, Mr. Marlowe, come this way to my little office. Right. We've got to talk right away. No time must waste. Oh, that's a nice little boy. I'm very proud of you. Now, you take your free ride with Nick. i got to talk to some business. Goodbye. Come in, Mr. Marlowe. Please, uh, sit down. Thanks. Mr. Marlowe, I'm a very worried man. Yeah, I know about your son you said on the phone. What sort of trouble is he in, Mr. D'Angelo? He's a good boy, my Bernardo. He's been to college. He's a veteran from the war with two bronze stars and a purple heart. <laughs> Look, there's his picture in his uniform. Ah. He's a good boy. Sure, sure. Now he's in a jam, is that it? Yeah. He's in a jam with a gambler. Man in name is Safran. You know this man? Yeah, slightly. Frank Saffron's a bad boy. Did your son owe him money or what? No, 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 no. My boy not throw his money away like that. No. It's about a girl. Oh. Which way does it go? She's Saffron's girl and Bernardo's making a play for her? That's or... right. That's right. This girl belongs to the gambler and my boy is taking her out. Oh, fine. He won't tell me nothing. I find out just the same. Maybe he's just playing the big shot. And maybe he really loses his heart. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But it's gone too far. Now there's a trouble. My boy's going to be killed or he's going to kill somebody. And I don't know what to do. Well, what makes you think it's gone that far, Mr. D'Angelo? Maybe Saffron will just get tough and scare Bernardo off, huh? Scare off? No, no, Mr. Marlowe. My boy's going to scare off. He's a pretty tough. 
he's a champion with the golden glove. Really? Yes. But tonight, I better no help him. Bernardo come home tonight with his face all beat up. He won't tell his papa nothing. All he says is that the red-faced dog, I'm going to get even, I'm going to kill him. He's just a crazy man. My Bernardo, he, he won't listen to me. He pushes me away and he go out again. Red face. Doesn't fit Saffron. You sure he was the one who had your son beat up? Sure, of course. Who else? Mm. And just because of this dancer, this Paula, I don't even know her last name. Paula, huh? Yeah. What do you think I can do about this, Mr. D'Angelo? Chase Bernardo down and bring him home? No, no, that's no good. My Bernardo, he's too, too headstrong. No, Mr. Marlowe, I must find out something. I must find out if this girl is using my boy for a plaything or if she's really in love with him. What difference does that make with Saffron? Well, if this girl really loves my boy, then I'd do anything to bring them together. Anything. Now, if this is only a game she play, then... What does that mean, Pop? Oh, that, that means if it goes that way, that's the way it goes. Uh -huh. And I know what I got to do. So you find out this for me, please. Well, I don't know, Pop. It's not the kind of thing I like. Look, I... look I know I asked you to spy on somebody. Just to find out for me. <laughs> I can't talk so good. My, with you, it's not so hard. I know, Pop, but really... Please, please. My boys and mama die, and now Bernardo's all I got to let. He's a good boy. He should not get into trouble just for a cheap game of love. Don't you understand me? I understood him. And from what I knew of Frank Saffron, he had plenty to worry about with a hot-headed son who didn't know when to quit. Or maybe it was Saffron who didn't know when to quit. That thought, plus the 50 bucks in advance, sold me. Mr. D'Angelo gave me a description of the girl he'd seen, but once told me that Bernardo had moved away from home, he didn't know where. That the park closed at 10 and that he'd be there all night, and that was all. My first step was to locate the dancer named Paula. So outside, I fed Nickel to a phone until I called everything from ballet to burlesque. But got no Paula, which left only Frank Saffron's easy money mill. It was a ranch house, California style, tucked under the hills south of Ventura, on a dead end called Sunburst. After I got the nod at the peekaboo window, I wandered through the bar and past the dice table to the door at back marked private and went in. A tuxedoed rock yeah. pile with a boiled lobster yeah, complexion frowned up at me from the telephone as he talked and waggled a thick, hairy go. finger. So I took the hint and waited quietly for him to finish. The whole thing over again. I don't care if it takes you a week. This joint don't soak up no five grand shortages. You guys find it. Goodbye. Well, what's on your mind, Toots? I don't seem to remember you being announced. It isn't a formal call. I'm just looking for an old friend. We don't have any old friends to spare, Toots. That figures. Mine's Paula. She's a dancer. I understand that Mr. Saffron knows her quite well. He might tell me what I can get in touch with her, huh? Oh, so you're a friend of Paula Baker's, huh? Yeah, that's right. From way back. Well, that's all, Toots. You're through. Her name's not Baker. That came right out of thin air. Now, what do you really want? Take it easy, boy. She's just cagey with last names, that's all. She gave us Jones. Who's that? The Duncan Department Store credit section. 300 bucks worth. I got this far in her references, and I want to see Mr. Saffron. Well, he's not in. I'll take it up with him later. If it was his time, you'll hear from us. Take it easy on yourself, Max. Just tell me where I can find it. Out that door there. You got the whole city to look in. And take your crummy business. Okay, okay. Oh, no, pushing. Hey. Hey, blushing boy. One thing more. Yeah. What's your name? I want to get it straight, and I'll tell you
But so it wasn't a total loss. I'd managed to keep the back door open long enough to snap off the night latch. And I'd met the red-faced man who no doubt supervised the beating Bernardo had taken earlier. I kicked plenty of noise out of the iron steps going down, and then I crossed the parking lot, leaned back against the wall, and waited. Halfway through my first cigarette, Bunker came out, got in his car, and drove away. I watched him out of sight. Then slipped back in quietly, located Saffron's 8x12 desk, and started through it. In the top drawer, I found first a letter with a gambler's home address on it. And under that, a picture. One of smiling lovelies posed in front of a dance studio on Wilshire. She wore Paula's description like a snug pair of slacks, and dance instruction was a field in the fine art of hoofing that I'd overlooked completely. I closed the drawer and started out when I heard someone coming. I jammed my cigarette into the ashtray and ducked back against the door frame as the cleaning woman bustled in. Somebody's been in here. Hold it quiet, baby. Shut up and I'll let you have some air again. Is it a deal? Okay. Hey, you don't belong here, mister. Neither do you, beautiful. Let's forget we saw each other, huh? Look, I'm a trusted employee here. Uh, silence is golden. How golden? Five bucks worth. And if I hear one peep out of you before I get out of here, I'll come back someday and put glue in your soap bottles. <laughs> Goodbye, baby. <laughs> Glossy from a social modernistic facade on Wilshire Boulevard to its far from old-fashioned receptionist inside, who signed me up, expressed sympathy over my rusty rumber, and assured me that since I'd heard so much about her, I could have Paula, that is, Miss Calvin, while on duty as my instructress, if I'd only be so kind as to step this way. So I stepped this way into a ballroom with a black burnished floor that looked as deep as the night sky, and after a deft hand signal from the receptionist, Paula Calvin glided toward us. Introductions were made. How do you do? And suddenly, the room was filled with the soft beat of a rumba band, and we were off. <laughs> Rusty or not, it would have been fun. If I hadn't had work to do, that part was tough. You're doing beautifully, Mr. Marlowe. Just loosen up now and relax, huh? Yeah, I'll try. I'm glad I drew you as my instructor, Miss Calvin. Mm -hmm. Bernie said you were top. Told me to insist on you and accept no substitute. Bernie? Uh-huh. D'Angelo. You remember him, don't you? Yes. Yes, of course I remember him. Nice guy, Bernie. Good kid. Don't you think so? Uh, keep your feet a little closer together, Mr. Marlowe. Don't be afraid to use your knees. You know, baby, Bernie's got everything. Look, brains, even a temper, just to keep life interesting. Isn't that right, Paula? Guy thinks a lot of you, doesn't he? Hey, I'm talking I to you. I heard you. The next question, I suppose, is how do I feel about him? Yeah. Now it's your turn to loosen up and relax, baby. Listen, I resent being checked up on by anybody. When I want Bernie D'Angelo to know how I feel, I'll tell him. And when I want Frank Saffron to know, I'll tell him, too. If you came here tonight for a rumba lesson, and I'm old Mother Hubbard. Okay, Mother Hubbard. I want to find out one thing. Are you in love with Bernie D'Angelo? That's nobody's business but mine, mister. You could be real wrong about that, baby. Then it's my mistake, and I'll make it all by myself, huh? Have you seen Bernie tonight? No, I haven't. 
and that's all the conversation you get. You can have the rest of your Roomba if you want it. No, thanks. I'll see you around, Paula. The next best bet for finding what my client wanted was a talk with Saffron. I stopped and called his gambling client, but he was still out. So I drove up into Coldwater Canyon to number 8100. The first real hint that something was wrong was a curtain dangling at a crazy angle over one of the lighted windows. Next to it was the front door, standing six inches open, and inside, the legs of an overturned table sticking up in the air, and then pieces of a broken lamp littering the floor. That was only the beginning. I nudged the door open and stepped in. It was a mess. I saw his feet first from behind the couch. It only took one glance at his face. Frank Saffron had been literally beaten to death by a pair of very fast, very deadly fists. Don't move one inch, Jocko. Do I take three guesses or turn around and look? Bernardo with gun. Oh, I got it all right. It was his. Automatic, caliber 45, and I'll use it if I have to. Who are you? Name's Marlowe. One of Saffron's boys? You got a real talent for being wrong, haven't you, kid? Who are you? A private detective hired by one Ambrosio D'Angelo. Papa? Yeah. Because he was worried sick about his boy. But I told him to stay out of it. I told him it was my business. And you did a nice, thorough job of handling it. You did this, didn't you? Yeah. Saffron had it coming to him. I was beat up tonight on his orders. I came here to pay him back, but I didn't intend to kill him. What'd you stick around for? I didn't stay around. He looks around. to me like he's been dead over an hour. I left, and I got worried, and I came back just a few minutes yeah, ago. Yeah, yeah, I... I know. You found out he was dead, huh? Well, I guess I better call I the police. I guess you better stand still. If you're really working for my old man, if you really want to help him... The best thing you can do is to get out of here and shut up about this until tomorrow morning. I don't work that way, kid. I'm going to call your old man and the police. And we're going to sit here until they show up. You won't give me a break. Not that kind. If you run, you haven't got a chance. We'll just have to see about that. I'm sorry it turned out this way, but it didn't. I got a lot of things to do. So take your ethics, Marlowe, and sleep on them. Oh, Bernie, Bernie, don't run. Come back. Just a moment, the second act of Philip Marlowe. But first, with thousands of dollars of wonderful prizes, Sing It Again is fun for the whole family to play. Make a date to listen over most of these CBS stations every Saturday night. Now, with our star, Gerald Moore, we return to the second act of Philip Marlowe and tonight's story, The Fine Italian Hand. and wobbled over to the telephone that was spilled across the floor near Frank Saffron's broken body. It was too late to do anything more constructive than call my client and, before he heard it from the police, tell him what his boy, Bernardo, had been up to. The kind of job I'd have given at least an eye tooth to get out of. So when I dialed his number and got no answer, I was glad, even though it didn't quite figure that the elder the end of the end. Now there was absolutely nothing to do but call the police or... Get away from that phone. Don't pay attention to a man who just stepped into the room. A man with a red face who also held a gun in hand. Oh, well, the department store, Dick. That's how he gets around. 
Or is it just that Frank's last name was Jones, too? You're overworking a bum joke. Also, I didn't do this. And who did? And how do you figure in around here and over at the club? Come on, smart guy. Let's level. First, who are you? The name? Marlowe. And the trade? Private detective. Hired by who? Come on, let's not pull teeth. Who are you working for, Marlowe? Quiet old guy named D'Angelo. Does nothing worse than run a merry-go-round for kids. Mean anything? Quiet old guy D'Angelo. Yeah, yeah, that must be the punk's old man, huh? Which means that the kid, Bernie, must have done this, right? Yeah, he did it. But only after he got cut up this afternoon by the late Mr. Saffron here, all representative. That's not me, Rover boy. I never messed in Frank's private life any more than I could help. Which means what? That I take Bernie D'Angelo one night to a flat he has over on Lancashire near Moore Park. A flat on Lancashire? What number? I don't know. The first house off the corner of Moore Park on the south side. He just moved in. Well, what's the difference, what now? Don't move, Marlowe, or I'll knock you flatter in that handkerchief. What handkerchief? That one by the body. Oh, yeah. With the initials D.A. The apostrophe A is in D'Angelo. That does it. Okay, Buster, put away the house. I'll leave quietly. For where? For a crack at that flat on Lancashire near Moore Park south side. Why? So that if the kid's still around, I can stop him without calling the cops. And only rattle him into losing his grip altogether. Which would mean lots of firepower and a kid sooner or later dead in the gutter. What's wrong with that? A couple of things. But in particular, what it might do to... Ah, uh, yeah, I know. To a nice old guy who runs a merry-go-round for kids. Nuts. So long, sucker. How it's his Lord. Beat it before I start crying. <laughs> Bernie D'Angelo's flat on Lancashire turned out to be second floor rear and all that went with it. From the stout landlady to the very public pace home to the faint line of naked, unfrosted light bulbs. Too weak to disturb the shadows in the corridor. Plus, of course, the unhappy marriage of a half a dozen distinct cooking odors sneaking out of the transoms of his many rooms where cooking was strictly prohibited. Bernie had room nine at the end of the L-shaped hall. And when I turned and started for his door, I was glad to see yellow light oozing out of the cracks. And to hear a tinny phonograph making not so grand, grand opera. When I knocked, I did it with a barrel of my 38. Yeah? Who is it? Connor! You better turn that phonograph down. We can't hear ourselves think out here. Okay, I'll take care of it. Goodbye. Not so fast, Junior. Take care of it now. I don't want to come out here again. It'll make me feel nasty. Does that come across? Yeah, real clearance. Yeah, Marlo, get back all the way. Cut it off. Quit shoving. Hold. Quit shoving. What do you want with me? Conversation for a starter. Turn that thing off. Now, we're going to talk, Bernie. About what? Not my old man again. That's a waste of time. What's done is done, Marlowe. You know that. Yeah, and I also know you'll never get any place running. Unless we try real hard. Don't turn around, Marlowe. Oh, fine. Madame Lazanga. Take his gun, Bernie. Throw it over there. Yeah. If you please, Mr. Connor. How stupid did you think we were, Marlowe? Or had you forgotten all about Paula here? No, I hadn't forgotten. Just figured she might be on the other side. Then you figured wrong because there's never been any other side. Never been anybody but Bernie from the moment we met. Which is why you kept dating Frank Saffron? Which is exactly why I kept dating Frank Saffron. I didn't want him jealous and gunning for Bernie. I didn't want trouble. Mm. Now that you got it, you don't want to let it go, is that it? What do you mean, Marlowe? Yeah, I mean if you turn yourself in now tonight, there's still a chance you'll get off easy. Yeah, and a better chance that he won't. All right. But even then, it'll only be manslaughter, prison for a few years. This way, it's got to be worse. Hide and seek from here on out for both of you right up to the end. No matter when that is. Look, honey, maybe... No Marlo... maybes, Bernie. I don't want you rotting away in jail and me rotting away on the outside because you accidentally killed Frank Saffron. Now, come on, Bernie. Let's get out of here. 
Put him in this closet here. Yeah, yeah, sure. Hey, look, Marlowe, if you, if you do go back to Pop, tell him I wish it had been different, will you? Why? So he can eat his heart out a little more? No dice, kid. Shut the door. The sight of you is making me sick. Okay, fella. Shut it in. And shut it stay. had been swinging wild, hoping that a lucky punch, no matter how low, would connect and jar some sense back into the kid. But it had played differently, and as I started to kick the lock on the closet door, I knew now that Bernie D'Angelo resented me and probably his father along with the rest of the world. It wouldn't give him an even break. All in all, it was the kind of thing that made me mad enough to do the trick! Fight over the girl, or don't you like the way the furniture's arranged? Which? Neither. Before you get too upset about this landlady, I'll cut you in on something. Hmm. A minute after I get to your phone, every cop in town is going to be looking for your star border. Because tonight, Bernie D'Angelo killed a man. Yeah, it's got nothing to do with the stuff you've wrecked. Come on, handsome, let's settle up. There's one splinter door and a smashed oh, and a lot of little pieces that used to be a vase. That broken box, box over there with them papers in it ain't mine, so it's no charge. Okay, how much? How, uh, how much do you want? How much? Well, uh, um, twenty, twenty-five, uh, thirty with the bait. Thirty bucks and all. Well, Hanson, what is it? What you're staring at? Hmm? Oh, uh, this slip of paper here fell out of the box. So did a lot of other papers. Can't hurt you. It's only a receipt. What's the fuss? Because it is a receipt, Granny, from of all places of the department store. A receipt for a what? present delivered a long time ago. What? Yeah, it's got to be. All right, Granny, here. 30, you said, huh? Mm-hmm. And 20, 25, mm-hmm. 30. 30 bucks. And if I'm right, sweetheart, I'll send you another vase come Christmas. Now, forget what I said about the phone and Bernie's being a killer. Because a mistake may have been made all the way around. What kind of mistake, handsome? A big one, a beaut. And I can't be more specific than that until I find the elder Mr. D'Angelo. Good night, Granny. By midnight, the San Fernando Valley is always sound asleep. So I covered the five miles back to the amusement park and close to as many minutes worrying all the way that either my hunch was wrong and I was heading no place or that it was right and I was too late to keep murder from happening again. When I was out of my car and moving quietly in between the dark machines to stop being gay, bobbing animals when the kids were gone, I knew that I could quit worrying altogether. Because standing ahead, in close to the merry-go-round, was Mr. Ambrosio D'Angelo. And opposite him, holding a gun that I'd already seen once tonight, was Lou Bunker, the man I figured had killed Frank Stefan. And when I was within a dozen yards of him, it played okay, just stop, like that's that. Okay, stop far enough. Stop right where you are and turn around. Why? So you can hit me over the back of the head and kill me like it was accident, huh? I fall in the dark while I work on the merry-go-round, huh? Pretty smart a guy, mister. That way, no Ambrosio D'Angelo to testify that you killed Frank Safron. No, my boy, Bernard. Turn around and quit yapping. Nobody told you to go peeking in the windows or to play drop the hanky when you went inside to make sure that I killed Frank Safron. It was all your own idea. Yeah, and brilliant. Drop it, Bunker. Mr. Marlowe, look out for Mr. Marlowe. You won't get far, Buster. Believe me. Mr. Marlowe. Mr. Marlowe, look out. Look out. He's hiding over there on the, on the merry-go-round. All right, Pop. I know, I know how to get him out of where we... Yeah, so I'll get down. Pop, are you all right? It's all right. That's okay, Mr. Marlowe. Just a scratch. Don't worry about me. Just to get ready for Bunker because 
I'm going to go over there next to the switch. Uh -huh. He can't hide no more, Mr. Marlowe. I'm going to start the merry-go-round, making him join us all around. I go now. Why, you fat old fool? Save me, Mr. Marlowe. He's around. He's stopping. With pleasure. Bunker, you want to make it to our hospital? Fill in the blanks fast. Come on, why did you kill Saffin? Come on! Okay. I dipped into the till at the club and dummied up the books to cover. He was going to find out about it, so I went to his place to get him. Bernie got there first, huh? Yeah. They had a fist fight, and after he left, I, I went in and... And to finish him off with your feet, I see that. I went there, Mr. Marlowe, because I was worried about Bernardo. I had to do something. How did you know that D'Angelo was there, Bunker? Marlowe, please... Come on, keep talking. All right. I heard a noise when I was inside. So I left and doubled back. He was inside then, but I only knew that it was an old man. I didn't know who he was until later when I came back a second time, when you were there and saw that handkerchief. It hadn't been there before. Then when you talked about the old man here, I, oh, I figured that D'Angelo initials could fit him. Oh, well. Papa! Oh, that's my boy, Bernardo. Bernardo, don't look me. Hey, Over here, Bernardo. Hey, I can go around. Look, 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 Mr. Barlow. The girl is with him. They didn't run away, did they? No, they didn't run away. That's it, Mr. D'Angelo. Welcome your boy home. It's going to be tomorrow morning before all the policemen are finished talking with my boy and Paula. That's right. But after that, everything okay. Mm -hmm. Okay, just because you talk smart to do both of them at Bernardo's flat. Just because of what you said. Well, that and what they were smart enough to do, D'Angelo. I don't think it was easy for them to change their minds and come back to what could have been prison. No, I guess not. My, it's also on account of you that there won't be no prison and it won't be a funeral for me. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, that's what, uh, that's what I don't understand, Mr. Marlowe. When you tell the policeman that you know where to come and find the loot bunker at my place because of the department store receipt, I get all mixed up. Oh. I can... Uh, oh, uh, I get off of here, please. All right, Bob. Well, the receipt was for handkerchiefs monogrammed D.A., Mr. D'Angelo, which would have been sent to you as a gift from your son. That put the idea in my mind that the handkerchief I saw at Frank Saffron's could be yours, not Bernardo's. Oh, I could see, Well, Mr. Marlowe, we are forever your good friends. Now I say goodbye here. Hey, wait a minute. Wait a minute, Pop. This is miles from your place. I don't mind driving you home. Oh, no, 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 no. That's all right. That's all right. I, I just want to go around the corner. Uh, an old friend of mine is there. Oh. I, I want to tell him all about uh, D'Angelo's good luck. Thank you just the same, Mr. Marlowe. Arrivederci. I watched him walk away. A quiet old man in a quiet, empty street. A grateful old man at 3 o'clock in the morning had to find his friend and tell him all about the D'Angelo good luck. And then, when he was around the corner and out of sight, I found myself wondering who the old friend could be. 
But a minute later, when I had driven as far as the corner and could see which way Ambrosio D'Angelo had gone, I knew. It was less than half a block away. The familiar Gothic architecture. Stone, stained glass. And the steeple reaching for the sky. And, yeah, his old friend. Adventures of Philip Marlowe, bringing you Raymond Chandler's most famous character, star Gerald Moore, and are produced and directed by Norman MacDonald. Script is by Robert Mitchell and Gene Levitt. Featured in the cast were Georgia Ellis, Jay Novello, Paul Dubois, Barney Phillips, Anne Morrison, and Vivi Janis. The special music is composed and conducted by Richard Aron. Be sure and be with us next week when Philip Marlowe says... This time I took a beating from a clever Chinese, ran into a twisted corpse in an alley, and watched death strike on the railroad tracks. All because of an open-toed banjo, which was jinxed from the start. Mother's Day is almost here. And you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day for movement. Whether mom's into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, movement has something she'll love. And right now you can save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with up to 50% off site-wide during movement's Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com. Get this and get it straight. Crime is a sucker's road, and those who travel it wind up in the gutter of the prison of the grave. They dressed in red, white, and blue and jumped from an ancient biplane at 3,500 feet. Twice a day, every day, and nobody worried. Until five million bucks went along just for the laughs, and death went along for the ride. From the pen of Raymond Chandler, outstanding author of crime fiction, comes his most famous character in The Adventures of Philip Marlowe. Now, with Gerald Moore starred as Philip Marlowe, we bring you tonight's exciting story, The Birds on the Wing. It had been the kind of quiet, workless week that speaks well for human beings and their relations with one another but it doesn't do much for a private detective's bank balance. So when at exactly noon, a telephone call had jerked me out of Chandler's new novel, The Little Sister, and a voice edged with anxiety had dangled a hundred bucks worth of negotiable bait my way, I had snapped at it. But then, I wondered if I'd done the right thing. Because it had been my must Hattie Pembroke, guardian of the millionaire thrill-seeking screwball Paige Pembroke. And now an hour later, I left the sunlight and felt my way into the gloom of the carefully tucked away Hollywood bar where she had suggested we meet. When I could see again, I spotted her at a corner table. 
that the old girl would be the other side of 50 and doing a little too much to disguise it, I had expected. But that she would be drinking her whiskey neat, I hadn't. When I approached her and introduced myself, she started to come you right to the point, but didn't quite make it. Oh, how rude of me. I'm sorry, you're probably dying for a drink. Oh, waiter. Well, frankly, no, Miss Pembroke, I'm not exactly oh, dying. Oh, no, 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 I know you men and your early afternoon appetite for a friendly drink. There's no harm in it. Matter of fact, I've already had... Had a small drink myself. No fooling. Oh, waiter, uh, this gentleman's order, please. Uh, yes, ma'am. What'll it be, sir? Scotch and soda, if the lady will join me. Oh, no, no, I couldn't. I... Really? Well, all right. <laughs> uh, scotch for me, too, waiter. Johnny Walker. Yes, ma'am. Now, Mr. Marlowe, let's get down to business. Have you ever been to Oxnard, California? Uh-huh. Good, because that's where my nephew is. Also, it's where the Calumet Valley County Fair is being held. Really? Whatever that may be. Most important, it's where you can probably find out what kind of trouble Paige is in. You see, the poor boy is... Down to his last five million bucks. Now, I'm sorry, Miss Pembroke. I don't think I want the job, after all. Now, one moment. Why not? Well, frankly, I hope you'll excuse the reference to actual living persons, but your polo-playing, motorboat-racing, daredevil nephew is a jerk. Uh, I know. Paige Pembroke the third is an unmitigated ass, a virile egomaniac, an idiot who's never done an honest day's work in his life. Wait, where is that drink? Right here, ma'am. Oh, thank you. Now, Mr. Marlowe, sit down and drink your drink. When I referred to my nephew as a poor boy in trouble, I was only trying to avoid saying all this. Oh. Your health, sir? Yes. Uh, well, my health. Now, your next question. Since I obviously share your sentiments about my nephew, why all this concern over him, correct? Uh, close. Right. I want to help Paige Pembroke, Mr. Marlowe, because it's my job. My, shall I say, bread and butter? All right, say it. You see, I'm executor <laughs> of his estate, which my brother, Paige's father, left for him. Well, as such, I get $20,000 a year until Paige is 35, another six years. But if Paige should die, disappear, or be committed to any kind of a public institution... Hmm? Institution. Oh. Before then, the entire estate goes to charity, and I go find another job. And specialized jobs like handling $5 million estates are hard to come by these days, huh? Now, Mr. Marlowe, this letter here is all you have to go on. It was postmarked last night from Oxnard. Read, read. Oh. If you want your precious nephew to keep on being healthy, you'd better come and get him at once. The three of us had a nice little act going here at the Calumet Valley County Fair before he joined us just for laughs. We intend to have a nice little act going after he's gone. And one way or another, he's going to go. A friend, huh? Yeah? Well, what do you think? Oh, it's five to one. It's nothing more than a woman spurned. Very young woman, Miss Pembroke. So you might be wasting $100 sending me up there. Then you'll go. Good. Yeah, but only because of my bank account. Mr. Marlowe, there'll be another $100 for you if and when you get all this straightened out. Now, now, call me at my home, Beverly Hills. Crestview 5412. 4124? Uh, uh, yes. Uh, uh. Uh, as soon as you find out what's wrong. Oh, uh, oh, Mr. Marlowe. Yes, Miss Pembroke. On your way out, signal the waiter for me, will you please? The ride to Oxnard was a pleasant but frustrating hour and a half drive along the kind of beckoning sun-scrubbed Pacific shoreline that always demands to know why you have to work for a living. The ride through Oxnard to the sprawling county fairgrounds located at a semi-retired airport was a fast ten minutes. 
So all in all, it was a little better than three o'clock, and there was still a measure of boyish bounce in my stride when I started past the prize cows and plain and fancy leghorns and headed for the midway, looking for the act Paige Pembroke had joined just for laughs. But it was four o'clock, and I had checked a half a dozen death-defying numbers before I was standing in front of a banner Columbus could have used for a sale and said I was getting warm. In iridescent orange cloth on black, it read, The Plunging Comets... Taffy Star and Midge Maynard on wings of death with fearless Eddie Knapp at the controls. The greatest parachute act in the world, admission free. 5 and 9 p.m., north end of the midway. Come one, come all. <laughs> yeah, this had to be it. At the north end of the midway, just outside of a sagging, weather-peeled hangar, I found the World War I biplane that went with the plunging comets being mothered by a mechanic who didn't have grease on his face. And beyond that, on an inside wall of the hangar, with the parachutes used in the act, each on a separate hook, its owner's name carefully block-lettered on a card tacked above. Taffy, Midge, and Eddie. And then, scrawled in black crayon, the name I wanted most of all to see, Paige. Lost something, mister? The voice went with the woman and the woman with the act. At the top, there was what used to be called the boyish bob sticking out of a white aviator's helmet circa 1918. Then a bright red leather jacket opened wide at the throat. Black riding breeches, black boots. A color of hair that stuck out and said this one was taffy. I asked if you lost something. Have you? Well, come to think of it, yes. Six foot two, eyes are blue, and carries a big, big checkbook. <laughs> Seen one around? Maybe. Why? Who are you? Name's Philip Marlowe, the millionaire's friend. I'm a yacht salesman. Here's my card. Never mind your I, card uh... or the very funny jokes. Now, what do you really want? Page Pembroke, before he breaks his neck in your act, or isn't he in it yet? I don't remember. Now, your point, what is it? A letter you could have written. A letter that says Page is in trouble. Where is he? Goodbye, Mr. Marlowe. Take it easy, Wings. Ah, you wouldn't want to hold out on somebody who's only trying to help Brother Page, would you? I mean, what reason could you possibly have? Other than five million bucks you might want for your very own. Why, you... <coughs> I said goodbye. What's the matter, Taffy? You having problems? Yeah. This Mr. Yacht Salesman is Emmett Kingston, head of the fair's midway. And you'd be surprised how popular he is with the concessionaries. Now are you going? What else? Good day, Miss Taffy, Mr. Kingston. You know, sometimes it works. Lead with your chin, ride with a punch, and watch for your opening. And I figured I'd try it just that way. So ten minutes later, when Emmett Kingston, who was carnival people from checkered vest past ornate, watch fob the high-button shoes and shaped like a bowling pin, left Taffy and started trundling down the midway, I went after him. When he stopped in front of a lunch wagon, I stopped too. And when he went in, approached a man playing pinball machine who was maybe five foot four, and from where I stood conscious of it, I was still behind him. At the pinball machine, a stranger with a thin face that wore a nervous toothpick was also watching the little man's game. Oh, boy, Doc, it's peachy. So when I moved closer to the trio, my face turned away from Kingston. Nobody well, seemed to mind. Well, I see a jack of many trades, I see. What? Oh, oh, Mr. Kingston, uh, how are you, sir? Fine, Hershey, just fine. 800 more is jackpot, Doc. Come on, come on. Uh, uh, you wanted to speak to me, Mr. Kingston? No, Hershey, nothing important except about last night. Uh, uh, last night, sir? Yeah. You were working late for a parachute rigger, weren't you, boy? Or uh, am I wrong to consider two o'clock in the morning an odd hour for you to be folding these silks? Hey, Doc, you're going to shoot it, aren't you? Which? Of course she is. Go on, I'll shoot for the uh, gentleman. Uh, yes, sir. Hey, 2,000... 
3,004. Hey, that's great. Now, do that again with your last ball, Doctor. Uh, was there something else, Mr. Kingston? Yes, uh, she... Why were you near the chutes at that hour? And uh, don't bother denying that you were because Eddie Knapp saw you there. Well, son? Well, I... I was there to double-check the riggings, Mr. Kingston. Hey, look, I'm sick and tired of Midge Maynard complaining about the way I pack her chute. It's a stupid excuse just trying to cover the fact that she's losing her nerves. Uh, hey, boys, don't ignore me. There's half of the jack. Shut up, you, do... and get going. Uh, Rosie, uh, get this uh, stumble bum out of here, will you? Sure, Mr. Kingston, whatever you say. Oh, and it's social, huh? All right, all right, Doc, I'm going. Of my own free will, too. But I could stay if I wanted to. Ah, uh, I see. You were saying... Well, just this, Mr. Kingston. Uh, Midge Maiden and Taffy Star fighting because of that Pembroke fellow or, or because Eddie Knapp is crazy about Taffy is one thing. But, but bringing me and my work into it is different. Meaning? The parachutes Midge and Taffy use are identical. In the act, both girls jump from the plane wing at the same time. But Midge always gets scared and opens her shoe sooner than Taffy. So Taffy is on the ground long before Midge. But this has nothing to do with the way I rigged the shoes, and I think it's. All that right, all right, Hershey. Nobody's blaming you. I, uh, say, you. Yeah? You uh, wouldn't be trying to sell another yacht in here, would you? Just waiting for the finish of an exciting pinball game? <laughs> that all right, or is it time to call Rosie again? No, no, it's quite all right. We're leaving. Uh, you try for the jackpot. Uh, come on, Hershey. It's about time for the five o'clock show. Oh, yes, Mr. King. Hmm. Only 40,000 to go. <laughs> oh, it's the first time I ever hit the jackpot. Oh, that's pretty good, Mr. Marlowe, considering that it wasn't your nickel you won on. Oh. Now that you mention it, Mr. Pembroke, it wasn't. We should take care of the introductions, yeah. huh? And that leaves very little. But something. But definitely. Marlowe, you can tell Aunt Hattie from me that at the moment I don't need a watchdog. And when and if I do, I'll go to the nearest city pound for one, not to a private detective agency. I told myself it was foolish to slam the door on my way out. So I slammed the door on my way out. I started north down the midway toward the open stands and the five o'clock sharp performance of the plunging comets. When I got there, the act was already underway with the silver biplane taking off. Eddie Knapp and White at the controls, Taffy in her red jacket and parachute crouched on one wing, Midge Maynard in blue jacket and shoot on the other. Then as they slowly gained altitude, high-button shoes himself took over the PA. They did it up well, and by the time the plane was at about 3,000 feet, every pair of eyes was riveted skyward, and an expectant hush thicker than winter fog had settled everywhere. Knees drawn up tight, arms close into their sides, they jumped. Specks in the sky growing bigger as they fell. 1,000, 2,000, 3,000 feet, and then, from taffy shoot cloth, long and colored, a huge flag rippling in the wind from the end of a long rope. The flag seemed to rise above her as she fell, until the slack was gone, and then suddenly a chute opened, billowing. And then Midge, another flag rippling from the end of a long rope, and then, then the flag drifting free. Midge's chute not open, Midge plummeting down, down to the hard ground. The thud slammed home all the way around, kicking hard at every stomach. 
A minute ago, a girl, very much alive. Now a smashed, still body. Someplace near me, a woman cried. There was a bitter, sick, sweet taste in my mouth as I headed for the hangar where I'd first met Taffy. At the moment, I figured the guy who packed the parachutes was a good man to see. When I got there, the only one present was Emmett Kingston. Stop right there, boy, and tell me straight and fast just who you are. Philip Marlowe, Los Angeles private detective, Mr. Kingston. You can prove that? Sure. Here. Here's my business card, state license, county permit. I'm working for Paige Pembroke's aunt. She wants his nibs kept out of trouble. Which has what to do with your being here now, Marlowe? Here at this hangar, I mean. Close to where the parachutes are kept. I'm not sure, Kingston. I've only got a hunch. A hunch that Midge Maynard's death was no accident. Yeah, I got more than that already, Mr. Detective. I've got proof. Oh? You see this flag? It's uh -huh. the one that came off Midge's chute. There's a long rope attached to it. Yeah, I know. I saw the egg. Pulls the chute open after the flag's flown a while, right? Sometimes, but not tonight, Mr. Marlowe. Tonight it couldn't. Why not? Wasn't it attached to the chute? It was. One end of the chute release cord, the other to the base of the flag. What went wrong? Nothing. Nothing, Mr. Marlowe, except that the long rope on Midge's chute was cut in two by a very sharp knife. In just a moment, the second act of Philip Marlowe. But first, Sunday nights on CBS. The biggest bargain in show business today. Skelton, Bergen, and Benny without spending a penny. Amos and Andy, Eve Arden, Corliss Archer, four A's, four-star entertainment. The Family Hour with its Hollywood stars and stirring dramas. The Contented Hour with its musical stars and brilliant form. Horace Height with his rising stars. Eight great shows heard on most of these same CBS stations every Sunday night, with the ninth, Jack Benny, being heard on them all. Hear them all this Sunday night. Now with our star, Gerald Moore, we return to the second act of Philip Marlowe and tonight's story, The Birds on the Wing. When Midge Maynard's grim accident turned out to be grimmer murder, I left Kingston and headed for a phone to call my client. Everywhere the chill of the viciously spectacular death lay like a soggy blanket. At the exposition office, I found a phone and finally got through to Hattie Pembroke. She listened up to the word murder and then, between gasps, insisted on coming out to help me. When I hung up, I turned to see that the pilot, Eddie Knapp, had been standing in the door, listening. He looked sick. What's it to you, mister? What's what to me? Midge. The long drop she took out there. And Pembroke, I heard you say Pembroke. What do you got to do with him? Just a minute, fella. I'm not sure it's any of your business. It's my business, all right. That kid gave me a big grin up there just before she jumped. And I watched her fall every inch of the way. So did everybody else. Look, I know how you feel, You don't have any you... idea how I feel. Don't try to kid me. That mob out there loved it. That's the only reason they come to watch, the hypocritical buzzards. You got a finger in this pie. And angle all your own. I'm going to find out what it is. Take it easy, Nap. You're talking yourself into something real silly. Yeah? Listen, ever since that louse Pembroke showed up here, there's been trouble brewing. Now Midge is dead. She was a friend of mine. Best friend I had. Aren't you pulling a switch, Buster? What happened to your red-hot passion for Taffy Star? Oh, you nosy... Come here, you jerk! Look out for my yeah, arm! Buzz boy, and unless you want to take off with a busted wing, stand still! Now get this, Eddie. I've got no beef with you yet. In fact, we might even be on the same team because I want Pembroke out of here just as much as you do. So cool off! Who are you? Private detective named Marlowe. I got news for you. 
Midge fell because her chute was fixed. She was murdered. Murdered? You heard me. Where... Where's Hershey? He packed the chutes. Have you talked to him? No, I can't find him. You mean he's run away? With that filthy hair pint Now, listen, for your own sake, Eddie, leave Hershey to me and the police. You know where he's staying? No, no, I don't. In town someplace. But didn't he ever tell you where? Come on, think, Eddie. Well, yeah, he told me he had a buddy in town. Some guy who runs a pool hall. I didn't pay much attention. That's enough for a starter. I'll find him. And keep a lid on your temper, Eddie. I'll see you. As I crossed the grounds to my car, I looked back once at Eddie Knapp standing in the office door, rubbing the shoulder I twisted for him. I hoped he'd stay out of circulation until I got back because the barnstorming flyer was charged up like a high-tension wire. The way he felt there'd be sparks no matter who he touched, Taffy, Pembroke, or Lyle Hershey. But my immediate worry was the location of the lambing parachute packer, so I drove into Oxnard, found a phone booth, and went through the book calling pool parlors. I finally hit pay dirt at a joint called Pindy's. It's 212B Street, upstairs in the back. 212 B Street was an apartment, second floor rear over a boarded-up fish market. I went up the stairs to the half-open door with my hand around my 38. But the shooting part was all over. Because Lyle Hershey was crumpled in the bedroom door with the slovenly abandon that violent death always has. And the look of the puddle of blood under him had been that way over an hour. I started backing out, just as someone else started up the stairs. So I flattened myself against the wall beside the kitchen door and waited. Lyle. Lyle, it's Taffy. I... Come on in. Take a good look, Taffy. What are you doing in here? Where's Lyle? It's a great act, baby. Holds water like a duck's back. What do you mean? That wherever there's murder, there's also motive, and you've got it, Taffy. Lots of it. Me? What are you talking about? Maybe he's dead, and maybe you killed him. Keep him quiet, because maybe he fouled up Midge Maynard's parachute on your orders. Consequently, he had you over a barrel. On my orders? You're out of your mind. And maybe you had to get Midge out of the way because you objected to Paige Pembroke and his idle millions haunting into the act. Objected so strenuously that she was doing something about it, such as sending threats to his Aunt Hattie. Let's face it, baby, it fits. But not tight enough, Marlowe. Oh, Paige, darling. Taffy, I got worried when you didn't come back to the car, so I decided... Hey, don't move, Marlowe, or I'll shoot. Pembroke, if you got any sense in that gold-plated skull of yours... I'll show you... it, Marlowe. I stood outside and listened to enough of your crackpot theories to know you're nuts. I don't need any advice from you at this point, so keep your long nose out of my business. Now listen, you hair-brained oh, dope. just stand there like a good little boy. Taffy and I are leaving, and don't try to follow too fast. Go on, Taffy, outside. I'll follow you. So long, detective. I let him go. Spent 20 useless minutes searching the almost bare apartment for any kind of an answer, but came up with nothing. Hershey's body at my feet convinced me there was nothing in Oxnard for Marlowe. And the sooner I dumped the whole mess into the laps of local law and order, the better. So I kicked out the 10 cent lock on the flimsy door and went down the stairs. I cut through an alley to the street and started across to where my car was parked. And I was bracketed by a pair of headlights on a sleek Nash convertible. Hey there, Marlo. Marlo, what you doing here, boy? Nothing. Even that's an exaggeration, Kingston. What about you? I thought you had a show tonight. I certainly do, but the police don't give a hoot about that, boy. No. They insisted that I bring the rest of Midge Maynard's parachute harness in for investigation. Mm-hmm. Uh, get in and come along, will you, son? Maybe you can help me out. Okay. I want to see the police myself. Oh, is this Midge's stuff here? That's it. Don't mind holding it, do you? No. You know, this is a waste of time, boy. All they have to do is pick up Lyle Hershey and they'll get all the answers. They'll have to pick him up, all right, but he'll give him problems, not answers, Mr. Kingston. Lyle Hershey's dead. He was but murdered. You say Lyle... Yeah, yeah, I just came from his place. Somebody shot him. Great suffering sardines. 
Well, uh, that means there's another killer. And still on the loose. I knew I shouldn't let him do it. Let who do what? Why, Taffy's going to give an air performance tonight. They pulled me in at the grounds just as I was leaving and told me. That uh, Pembroke fella's going up in Midge's place. You mean those two showed up out yeah. there? It doesn't make sense. Well, Pembroke's got plenty of nerve in his own shoot, so I guess... Shoot? He... Yeah, he's... Uh... Wait a minute, wait a minute, Kingston. Stop under that streetlight, will you? Why, uh-huh. What is it, Marlowe? What are you looking at? Sure, sure. Red smudges on the inside of these straps. There's something wrong here, Kingston, but I can't quite peg it. Say... Kingston, what time was that performance going to start? Well, nine o'clock. Five minutes and five miles to go. Come on, boy, turn the heap around and rump on it. We got a killer to catch. Swing out in front of the hangar, Kingston. Hurry. It's empty. They're already out on the runway. Yeah, there's one parachute still on the rack. Why, that's Eddie Knapp's chute, and he never goes up without it. So who's at the controls of that plane out there? I don't even have to guess. It's Eddie Knapp, all right, but he figures a suicide doesn't need a shoot. But... Pile out, Kingston. It's as far as you go. I'm taking over from Mark, here. What are you talking about? Come on, about? move. Get out. They're turning around now. Yeah, he's going to make us run back this way. So long, Kingston. Here he comes. Well, what are you doing? Come back! I waited until there was no possible chance for a miss. Then I headed the car straight into the path of the plane, pulled the hand throttle out as far as it would go, and jumped. easy. The plane sort of stumbled over the car, rolled up on its nose and stayed there. Quick work by the volunteer crash crew took care of that. A box of bandages took care of the collection of minor cuts and bruises all around and the Oxnard police took care of Eddie Knapp. Everything had come out more or less even, except my client, Hattie Pembroke. She showed up at the finish line slightly on the bias, which no doubt was her normal late evening state. Also, she was as full of questions as an insurance adjuster. Now, young man, I paid you a substantial sum of money for this day's work, and therefore, as your employer, I'm certainly entitled to a comprehensive report of the entire business. And I insist All right, all right, you... Hattie, Hattie, whoa. <laughs> I'll run through it once more, and that's all. Now, look, first, the threatening letter you got was written by Midge Maynard because she was afraid Paige was going to break up the act, you get it? But the real screwball was Eddie Knapp. He was crazy about Taffy's tar and insanely jealous when your nephew and his money showed up. Knapp decided if he couldn't have Taffy, nobody else would, because he'd kill her. And yet Midge Maynard was the one who got killed. You catch on quick. Knapp killed Hershey because he was afraid Hershey had seen him tampering with the chutes. You get that? No. Oh. On second thought, Milo, maybe you better submit a written report tomorrow. Yeah, with adding machine and clothes. Now, look, Hattie, it's not hey, that... Hey, Milo. Milo, Paige and I want to apologize... We treated you pretty badly tonight, and, well, you did save our lives. Business is business. Yeah, that's right. He was hired to do a job, dear, and he did it. I'm only interested in one thing, Marlowe. How'd you know it was Eddie Knapp? Well, nobody had a really good motive for killing both Midge and Hershey, so when I realized the shoots had been switched, I knew Midge's murder was a mistake. And there, it was easy. How'd you find that out, Marlowe? From red smudges on the inside of the harness shoulder straps. Red that had to come from your leather jacket there, Taffy. The one Midge always wore was blue. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. Well, Hattie, write the detective a check so he can go. That's the best idea you've had to date, Pembroke. And include on it the price of a repair job on Kingston's car, a new tweed suit to replace this one that lost knees and elbow on the runway when I jumped. And also, don't forget the bonus you promised for keeping your job alive, Hattie. Oh, just a minute, Marlowe. As for you, Pembroke, the only reason I'm not filing an assault and battery charge against you is that... You've got great grounds for a countersuit. What do you mean? This! 
bless you, my boy. Mail me the check. Good night. Well, a few informal cups of coffee at the Oxnard Police Headquarters cut through most of the paperwork. But at that, it was after two when I finally picked up my car and drove the inland highway for home, past dark, quiet farms, where down-to-earth people made down-to-earth livings and slept at night. Yeah, the countryside was full of them. So it was with a real sigh of relief that I finally opened the door to my apartment and looked forward to some peace and quiet. Hello, Mr. Marlowe. Uh, aren't you Gracie Allen? Yes. Well, how'd you get into my apartment? Well, you see this key? Yeah. Well, it didn't fit, so I opened the door and walked in. Yeah, well, that figures. Uh, what can I do for you? Uh, Mr. Marlowe, you're a famous detective, and I think you're just the man to handle a very important case for me. Oh, really? Well, I'd be very happy to, Gracie. What's your problem? Well, you see, Mr. Marlowe, our sponsor won't let my husband, Sugar Throat Burns, sing on our program. Mm-hmm. And I want you to investigate the possibilities of another radio program George can sing on. Mm-hmm. And then our sponsor will realize he's wonderful and let him sing on our show. Yeah. Well, I'm sorry, Gracie, and the next time you pass my house, I'll be very grateful. Oh, thank you, and I'll be looking for you, too. Goodbye. Goodbye. The Adventures of Philip Marlowe, bringing you Raymond Chandler's most famous character, star Gerald Moore, and are produced and directed by Norman MacDonald. Script is by Robert Mitchell and Gene Levitt. Featured in the cast were Lois Corbett, Rita Lynn, Don Randolph, Junius Matthews, Jack Moyles, and Jimmy Eagles. The special music is composed and conducted by Richard Arant. Be sure and be with us again next week when Philip Marlowe says... It started with a kid hawking papers on Hollywood Boulevard and moved from there to a house full of hate on a quiet street, a blonde liar on ice skates and a corpse in a burned-out shack, and it all wound up right where it began, in the heart of the kid on the corner. That wraps it up for tonight's show at 1001 Radio Crime Solvers. We really enjoy good reviews, so when you have a chance, say something nice about a selection of shows, or maybe suggest some to us. Thanks for joining us. See you next time.